Welcome to the Uncommon History Podcast, your go-to source for fascinating stories from the past. On our podcast, we explore more obscure and often overlooked corners of history. From lesser-known tales to weird facts about history, our mission is to share the stories that will leave you surprised and entertained. Join us as we discover a world of history you didn't know existed. Welcome to the Uncommon History Podcast, the podcast that explores the fascinating and lesser-known stories of the past. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, we are back for Season 4, Episode 1. So, yes, well, you want to kind of catch the folks up on uh, what's been going on? You've become quite the celebrity, the TV show. And... <laughs> I don't know about that. We, uh, we will give a, we're going to do a podcast with this company. We, we, we had uh, shot in Perryville a, uh, a, a haunted history uh, show for a company that's going to be uh, putting it out for bid for a couple, three different uh, networks. I think the History Channel, Discovery Channel, maybe another one. And, um, we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about that more, but yeah, we did a shot in Perryville. We're going to do one at uh, Whitehall in Richmond, uh, Kentucky, the home of Cassius Clay, which we've actually done a podcast yes, about how we did a two or three part podcast. Yeah, it was a big it. one. And, um, so we're looking forward to that and, uh, we are looking forward to getting our book out. Yep. That's and, uh, we have getting a, written a book. Uh, Brian has put a lot of work into this himself and, we are tell us a little bit more about Brian. Well, it's going to kind of cover uh, Perryville and the haunted history. You know, Perryville is probably one of the most haunted communities or towns in the South. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the ideal come from. So hopefully, it'll be out by summer. It'll be on Amazon. Um, but uh, that's coming out hopefully pretty soon. You know, but um, also I kind of want to update everybody. We are going to be you know since this is season four, we're actually going to be introducing a members area. And I'm going to talk more about it later, but uh, basically you will be able to go and subscribe and get content, exclusive content. Uh, there'll be at least one podcast a month, um, maybe some videos. We haven't figured out how I'm going to set it up all, you know, completely, but um, so uh, that'll be coming as well. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to get uh, discounts on our merchandise and stuff from our store as well. So there'll be a lot of benefits uh, to being uh, a member. So, do you have what what happened today in uh, Kentucky history? Today in Kentucky history, this is February twenty second, and it's really a boring day in Kentucky history, Brian. I mean, you have to really reach to find it as a story today. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. You ever heard of the Tunersville folks or the Tunersville trolley? No, I believe so. Before mine and your time, yeah, it's a new one for me. In 1908, the Tunersville folks, aka Tunersville trolley made its debut in Chicago uh, in the Chicago Post. This is a cartoon, by the way. Okay. It was the uh, creation of a Kentuckian, Fontaine Fox, and by 1913, it had spread to over 300 newspapers all across the country. It ceased publication in 1955. It was one of the most popular long-running uh, comics of the World War I era. Wow. And that's something. Uh, 1847, General Zachary Taylor, uh, Kentucky led the U.S. forces in the uh, Battle of Buena Vista, uh, which was led mostly by Kentuckians. There were other uh, states involved, but mostly Kentuckians. Defeated Santa Ana, an army of about 20,000 troops, and uh, he was outnumbered like four to one. 
And because of his military success, as we know, he went on to be president of the United States. Is this, uh, of course, I know it's post um, uh, after the Alamo, but uh, is this the one where Santa Ana decided to take a nap and they were able to, or that they, they didn't, something how he didn't believe they would attack at a certain time? No. I okay. think this was a little later. Um, this this event was a, a, a real a great strategic victory, and I'm not a total historian on that battle, but I know that uh, when you're outnumbered four to one and the Mexican troops weren't that uh, ill-equipped or anything, right? but he had just uh, performed some really great uh, maneuvers. His artillery performed wonderfully. And uh, things just came together for him. He was a very smart general. He was he had very, very brilliant in his uh, ability to, in the Napoleonic tactics. Yeah, he was well trained in that. Okay. What else from the today in Kentucky? That's history? it. That's it. That's all, right. all. That's all exciting stuff I could find. Boy, that is big news. Yeah, big news, isn't it? Uh, what? Uh, so, what are we going to talk about uh, on this episode? Well, I found a book here a while back, and it was always interesting. You know, any time. I don't know how many times I've done it. Now, being as interested in history as I am, it's easier for me to say this than people that, that don't uh, really research and st- do stuff like I do. But uh, I don't know how many times I've driven by a building or a place for years and just paid no attention to it or paid very little attention to it and never questioned, well, what's that doing there? Mm-hmm. Or what, what's, what's this about? Well, I want to do a little story today about a log cabin. Okay. That people that live in the Lexington area have driven by for years. Okay. And it's certainly been there all of my life and, and before I was there. Uh, this little log cabin sits on the corner of uh, 3rd Street and uh, what's it, that street? Excuse me just a second. Well, I'll tell you in a second. It's in my notes. But um, it's on Transylvania University campus. And uh, I've noticed it, but I never really looked at it. And I began to, one day I stopped by and I saw the historic plaque that was on it, and I thought, wow, what a neat, what a neat thing. Well, then I find this book about uh, Captain Robert Patterson, Colonel Robert Patterson, and we're going to get into that story tonight. We're going to okay. talk about the log cabin and how it came to be and, uh, and his story. Um, he was born, Colonel Robert Patterson was born in, in uh, Bedford County, Pennsylvania in 1753. And his dad was Jane, excuse me, Francis. His mother was Jane Patterson. He, he was a soldier, pioneer, legislator, hunter, citizen, uh, all-around good fella. Uh, <laughs> he was very active. Matter of fact, uh, very active in the forming of our, of our state constitution and seemed to be a very well-rounded, very well-liked man of his time. Um, the family had migrated to America and came into Connecticut in around 1729. So from 1729 till 1804, this man's family had made a major impact on our country and on our landscape. Um, He founded two cities in his life, and one is Lexington, Kentucky, and the other one was Dayton, Ohio. Huh. And I'm sure we've all heard of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Yep. Well, the Pattersons, that's a descendant of the gentleman we're talking about tonight. Really? Um, he was uh, in the military at Fort Pitt in 1774. He became acquainted with men like Daniel Boone, Simon Kenton, James Harriet, all these, Benjamin Logan, 
all these are early names of Kentuckians that we've all come to know secondhand, those of us that study pioneer history. And uh, he had a knowledge from them of what was going on in the territory kind of southwest of Pennsylvania, the, the, the new frontier, right. the opportunity to get land, opportunity to make a claim. So he was the adventuresome type. Um, he uh, also was acquainted with George Rogers Clark, and he went on a military. Um, he, he met him at Fort Charlotte around 1774-5, and when he was around Clark, Clark talked of these lands and the ambition and so he had served in a short military campaign with Clark, and he became very acquainted with him. And uh, so he came back and told his father of his plans. He said that he wanted to come to Kentucky, wanted to try out this new land, look at it, uh, and, and possibly settle there. So his father made him a deal, a contract. Now, he was a young guy. He didn't have any money, so to speak. He was like six, 17, 18 years old. So his father said, look, I'll give you a horse and a saddle, and a complete hunting outfit, a gun, uh, barrels of flour. I'll give you a few head of cattle, like nine horses and 14 cows. Uh, and if you will go to Kentucky and claim me 1,000 acres of land, <laughs> that's a pretty good trade, I think, yeah, for 1,000 acres of land. Now, this was not, as you know, without risk, huge risk. So these guys, uh, bravery would maybe not be quite a good uh, description. I think these guys were brave beyond. I can't imagine uh, going into a wilderness. Uh, and how old was he? Did it say how old he was? 17, 18 17, years old. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty he, he supposedly drove the first domestic cattle into Kentucky. For commercial use, huh. you know, for to to breed and to sell, right, right. Create. So they had a vision of what they wanted to do. It wasn't just walking in here blindly. They had a plan. Uh, he left Bedford County, Pennsylvania, in seventeen seventy five. He went back home after his service with George Roger Clark. Came, went back home, made the deal with his dad, came back, and there was a there was two or three guys that were from that area that ended up being important names in in Fayette and Lexington, uh, Kentucky. Uh, Fayette County, excuse me, uh, William Nesbitt, uh, William McConnell, Francis McConnell Sr., Francis Jr., David Perry, and Sid Stephen, excuse me, Stephen Lowry, Daniel Boone, James Harrod, Simon Kenton, Ben Logan, all those guys we already mentioned. Right. They were already in Kentucky, and they had already done some exploring. So they had kind of went out and, 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 and been the, four, the first guys in. He came in in the second wave. Okay. And all these guys came in to stake out land claims. Now, with the colonial government at that time, you would come in, build a cabin, uh, create what's called a preemption. You could you could, you could claim as much as a thousand acres, but you had to build a cabin and plant a crop, okay. and you had to make some quote improvements. And how they verified those claims that was always a problem yeah. and a mess because it turned out later a huge problem for the early people that came in here and claimed land if you couldn't hold it. Uh, they floated down the Ohio from Fort Pitt on flatboats, loaded down. Now, Brian, when you and I envision floating down the Ohio River, coming into Kentucky in pioneer times, what do you see? I see a bunch of logs tied together. You know, <laughs> something Tom Sawyer kind of a boat. boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, I guess in a sense, probably, uh, but a little more sophisticated than that and a lot bigger. And a lot heavier, oh, yeah. and probably a lot bigger than we think. 
um, they brought in a lot more stuff than we think. Yeah. I mean, they were in here for the for the long term. Um, they first lay, uh, unloaded at a place called Vanceburg, Kentucky, which at that time was called Salt Lick. Mm-hmm. Um, on their way, as you could see from the riverbanks, they said when you put into the Ohio River from the time you left below Fort Pitt to wherever you went, there was Indians watching you constantly almost. Huh. They watched that river. They realized that was the that was the interstate highway of for for most pioneers. Yeah, not all of them, but for a lot of them. Um, the flatboats headed loaded down with provisions. They had lead, which is extremely heavy for bullets, and uh, pewter, which was to to pour and make and repair things. Uh, corn, flour. They had traps. They had some furniture. Plows and tools. See, you don't think about it. Okay, you're going to come into Kentucky and you're going to plow and plant a crop. What are you going to plow with? Right. No hardware stores here. And then you had to make your own furniture. Yeah. And so you had to have axes and adzes and all types of tools, planes, all types of things. So I I know that uh, just the hunters themselves traveled pretty light, but these folks traveled. They had to bring a lot of stuff with them for the long haul. Part, the party made their way through the lower blue licks and met with Simon Kenton. Uh, Simon's probably one of the toughest pioneers that we've ever ever read about, I think. I think he's probably one of the toughest individuals I've ever read about. Uh, there was also a fellow there named John Williams. And that area, what we now call blue licks, they met, and Patterson decided that he was going to Look, he liked the look of the land, and he wanted to explore more, and he went south to what's now Georgetown, Kentucky. And, and by the way, while he was there, he saw his first buffalo. Huh. Now, you would think in the 1750s in Pennsylvania they would have buffalo, but they didn't. No. So he didn't see buffalo till he got to Kentucky. So they came in the vicinity of a spring there in Georgetown, Kentucky. Um, and the land was just beautiful to him a vast uh cane breaks uh land that could be cleared easier especially by burning it off he saw some abundance of good limestone water um and the lay of the land it was flatter than a lot of places where he had come from very tillable every inch of it would be very tillable so uh, they found a spring there and with uh he helped a fellow the McClellans build a log cabin there at a place they called Royal Spring, which today we know is Georgetown, Kentucky. Hmm. And that was in November 1775. Now, Robert, uh, he, him and, uh, excuse me, Robert Patterson and another fellow by the name of James Sterrett, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, they decided to move on south after they helped with this cabin at Georgetown, and they camped and came, came on down a little further south. And they had really, uh, it kind of described them when they first found the area where they, they c- built a camp. And I think, you and I think of Camp in Bryan maybe as, um, you know, just building a fire and setting up a tent and everything. Right. I think their idea of a camp might have been a little different. They yeah, may, oh, have, been, I, they I may have put a lot more work into some type <laughs> of a pole structure or something there to keep them out of the weather. Um, but anyway, after they killed a turkey there and he built this little cabin, he, he's began to look and found a, a really good source of water. So he decided to claim that. 
So what he did, he built a 10 by 12 foot cabin and he marked the logs with RP, which was Robert Patterson. And he began to stake out land claims around that area. So he claimed land for himself, his father, and his brother. And his brother would come on a few years later and help him. So he he uh, marked them with RP, November 1775. Wow. So he was in here pretty early, as we can tell. Uh, according to a descendant of his, that uh, he was paid in script and his family for their services now, I don't know this is accurate, but this is this is what I read in the book and descended this story descended in the family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not familiar enough with how people were paid for their service back then, but he was paid for his colonial Revolutionary War and Indian War service. Uh, it said, which uh, pr- consisted of 47 years of service combined in their family, and that's how they paid for these claims and kept the taxes paid. Now, when you so, say script, explain what script is. Well, I think script is like before we had our our currency that we have today. So it was an IOU? It was like a government IOU. Okay. Okay. Um, there was English money, but again, this was at a time we were rebelling from England. So right. um, script is like, a, I would assume, like an IOU. Uh, he made other claims along Elkhorn Creek, uh, Cane Run, and uh, those were for his brother and father. Now, uh, the, again, the, the colonial government demanded uh, those claims to be improved. In the words, you had to build a cabin, you had to plant a crop, you had to clear some forest, you had to show that you were uh, serious about living there. Um, one of the things that all these guys ran into, and we've talked about it in other stories, but there was just Indian fights. There was constant harassment by the native Indians here. Um, the McClellan Station was attacked many times. Uh, the, there was, you know, Fort Herod, Boonesboro, all these places were attacked. So there was a constant threat. that, And these guys communicated with one another very well to keep up with what was going on. If one of them saw a large party of of Indians, they would stop what they was doing, warn the others, the others would go warn others, and so forth. And the McClellan uh, fight, one of them, uh, there was several of the white people were killed there, but there was a, an Indian warrior there by that led a group there by the name of Pluggy, <laughs> P-L-U-G-G-Y. I don't know how he got that name. I'd love to know. But um, he was he was um, killed as as part of this fight, and uh, that seemed to relieve tensions for a while because the Indians had lost their warrior, their leader. Uh, Robert Patterson himself was wounded. Now, we're going to come back to that. There's no mention of uh, Chief Big Feather in this no book. No Big Feather. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't find him. He, I don't think he was a great warrior. I, think I bet he was. Close to I the bet he, you don't get a name like Big Feather if you're Big not a great, war, great yeah. warrior. And, uh, but he looks a lot like you. I mean, I really, <laughs> that's the first thing I thought when I saw him. <laughs> All right. So for many years, this, this, this Indian hostilities went on. And the year 1777 was probably the worst. This was a year of uh, hostilities that, like, we've never seen. Attacks on Boonesboro, Harrodsburg, Logan's Fort. Uh, the British had supplied the Indians. Uh, and they, and helped work with them with intelligence against the American, so it was a it was a trying time for all concerned. Uh, 
There was other people, though, that came into the Lexington area that helped settle Lexington. Now, it, it sounds like the way I set this up that he was like him and another guy was the only one. And it really wasn't the case. Um, there was people named James Morrison. Now, if you listen to these names, you, some of these names kind of stick out. Morrison, Morrison's Hall, mm-hmm. uh, Transylvania. I don't know, but I assume it was named for him. Samuel Johnson, uh, David Mitchell, Josiah Collins, James uh, Parberry, Alexander and William McConnell. We know of McConnell Springs. Yeah, this is this is one of the early early stations there. Hugh Shannon, uh, James Maxwell, James Masterson, Masterson Station Park. Oh, yeah. I assume was probably connected. James Duncan, maybe Duncan's Tavern in Bury or in uh, Paris, Kentucky, may have had been relation there. And the Lindsay brothers, and they had played a prominent role in the founding of Lexington, according to most historians. Um, and during his times of uh, the Indian troubles, Daniel Boone and the Bryans, uh, well, the Bryans were Daniel Boone's in-laws. Uh, Daniel Boone's mother was a Bryan, and the Bryans had came into central Kentucky, into the Bluegrass region, and they were a prominent family that was going to play a role in the settling and industrial uh, might of the early pioneers. Uh, you know, we know the siege of Bryan Station and the bravery of the women who went out to get water when the Indians were threatening them. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. And we know that story. But the Bryans settled there and also in southern Jesmond County, what's now, uh, excuse me, southern Fayette County, northern Jesmond County. That whole region was settled by the Bryan family. Very, very uh, important family to the development of Lexington. Um, so... Uh, the Lindsays and the Pattersons were early families there, and Robert married Elizabeth Lindsay in 1779-1780. And how the Lindsays got there, if we go back to Bedford County, Pennsylvania, that's where the Lindsays were also from. So okay. all these folks knew one another. And he had went back to marry his sweetheart. She was seven years younger than him. And so he brought her from – they were a very prominent family. They had a – a beautiful home there. Uh, I've seen a picture of their big stone house that was in Bedford County, Pennsylvania. And they were living pretty well, and she left that to be with Robert and come to Kentucky to live in a 10 or 10 by 10 or 12 by 12 log cabin. Had to be love. And it had to be. Had to be. Um, in March uh, 1780, the, the, the wedding took place, um, and they came back down the Ohio River what meager furnishings they could put on a flat boat and bring to the cabin. That's what they lived with. Um, I, w- I would think that the hard work that she faced, she had five children in that one cabin. Wow. And the, the ironic thing to me is that she didn't, she didn't live like that till she got to Kentucky. So I don't know how that she handled that, but she did. They had their lighter moments, though. They they had their times. You know, we we go to we have ball games. We have all kinds of things that entertain us, and sports and and golf and whatever. But you know, what did what did you do in Frontier, Kentucky, for entertainment? Uh, probably picnics, or uh, you get together with the neighbors. What few neighbors you had? Yeah, neighbors were like miles yeah. apart. Yeah, quilting parties. Uh, husking bees. What's a husking bee? You know, 
I guess that's where they're husking corn. I would assume, yes. That's what I thought. Candy pulling, they make candy. Sugar mm-hmm. was very rare, hard to get. So I'm not sure a lot of that happened. Because you couldn't get sugar up the Mississippi before steamboats. So right. it had to be brought up by, from the south. Um, they, the, the guys had, had wrestling, boxing matches, shooting matches, uh, foot races. <laughs> <laughs> men being men, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, horse and, racing, of course. And horse racing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, worship was an important part. And, and one of the things that you would really miss if you lived in a community that had a church and then you come to the frontier, you didn't have a church. Right. You didn't have a pastor. You would hopefully that a traveling uh, preacher. A circuit rider. Would, or a circuit rider. Yeah. That probably came a little later. So they their, their preaching was probably by their each person taking turns, having some type of service, leading in the service. And depending on the person's education and ability to read the Bible, how much of that you actually got. Um, and I'm, I don't have time to go through his complete career because he had a wonderful career uh, militarily. He served with George Rogers Clark in the Northwest, was commissioned as a colonel. That's how we got his name, Colonel uh, Robert Patterson. But in September 1785, um, he was uh, commissioned colonel on the Virginia line of the Fayette County Regiment. Now, at that time, we were still... Part, Part of Virginia. Virginia. We right. hadn't we hadn't uh, made it as a state yet, but in 1785 he came to Danville, Kentucky, and as a representative to write a constitution for the oh, state okay. of Kentucky, and I think that was with the blessings of Virginia uh, to uh, for us to go in to be our own state. In in 1792 he served once Kentucky became a state. He served eight years in the Kentucky legislature. Uh, and then he served with Isaac Shelby, who was our first governor, right. and who he knew very well. And you know how much money he made as a legislator? Probably not much. Hmm? Well, it's, it kind of reminds me of jury duty today. He got a dollar a day as a legislator <laughs> for every day they were in service. Now, yeah. that didn't mean you know, yeah. when he were in service. So he got a dollar a day. Um, and during the period of 1788 to 1802, he decided his time uh, – just divided his time between Kentucky and Ohio, and then he he was around Cincinnati a little bit. He uh, he kept got involved in this little town, and I don't know how to pronounce it. I'll spell it: L O S A N T I V I L L E, Louisantville. No, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. it. I'm sorry, but anyway, that's actually was Cincinnati. Okay. It became Cincinnati, or a suburb of Cincinnati. Cincinnati would come later, and he didn't have success there. So he came back to Lexington, and he began to explore more into Ohio, and he was kind of enterprising. So he ends up going to up around the Dayton area, and he purchased a good portion of land. And he was one of the first people in that area to found that town. And, you know, the whole town only paid $485.40 in taxes. <laughs> the whole town. Okay. And his part, was two dollars and let's see, two dollars and twenty four cents. <laughs> so um, at a dollar a day, he did pretty good, didn't he? Yep. He could pay his taxes. Yeah. Uh, he had many children born to him. Uh, he was a guy that had founded two towns in his life. He died in November ninth, eighteen twenty seven, on his seventy fifth uh, birthday. 
And listen to what his epitaph on his tombstone reads. It says, November the 9th, 1827, in his 75th year, from a wound he received by a shot from an Indian escaping capture in October of 1776. Wow. At that age, still dealing with Indians. Yes. But that's not the end of the story. Oh, so there's more. There's more. We're going to talk about the log cabin. Okay. All right. The log cabin didn't stay in Kentucky. Hmm. Uh, the first one he built was the one that you see when you go over there. It was built in 1775. It was occupied until 1785 or somewhere 1790, somewhere in there. And then they built a larger two-story cabin, and they used that cabin as a servant's quarters. Okay. Then they moved out of that cabin that they'd had five children in and moved the larger cabin. Then they moved to a larger stone house. And then they moved the first cabin to behind the stone house there in Lexington and used it uh, basically for storage. And it was built on the corner of High and Patterson Street. That, that's where it was originally, which is now that. It wasn't that then. They had laid out the town, obviously, but um, I don't know that those names were those names then because the Patterson was probably named after him, right? Right. All right. Then the original cabin uh, was when the Pattersons moved to Dayton. A descendant of the family decided they wanted to bring the cabin and keep it. So they tore the cabin down and moved it to Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> and put it on their farm there. Um, and it was real interesting that they, they, they valued this cabin because it was, had, first of all, you know, one of the first built in Lexington and by their family, and they wanted it preserved. Right. But um, the people in Lexington decided uh, they wanted it back. They contacted a descendant and asked them. It was the, the, the people that contacted them were the daughters of the American Revolution. Okay. And some of the, the uh, town uh, people in Lexington wanted to get it back, and they wanted to uh, because it was one of, the old, one of the few old original buildings that they could actually say was here during pioneer times. Right. So the family consented to it, and they brought it back in like 1939, and that today is where it is. And you know, uh, as a police officer, I worked that area, that beat. Mm -hmm. I probably never paid any attention to it, unfortunately. No. And I've, dri I've driven by it for years. Uh, it, it was, it's made of Buckeye logs, oh. and it's either 10 square feet or 12 square feet. Now, folks, if you do the math, these folks lived and had five children in 100 to 144 square feet <laughs> with a small loft sleeping on <laughs> Can you imagine? Can't do it. Couldn't do it. I cannot imagine that. It's a little uncommon history there, Brian. Yeah. It's about something some of us have driven by all of our lives. Yeah, I never really noticed it. Missed a hot now when I go by, I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, that's all for this episode of Uncommon History. We hope you enjoyed our journey through the past and that you discover something new and exciting facts of the history of the world around us. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to our feed to stay informed about our new episodes. All of our links are at the top of our show notes in the description. We look forward to bringing you more Uncommon Stories of the Past. Until next time. Uncommon History was created and produced by Harold Edwards and Brian Wolford.